0: Hi, Rebecca, it's great to see you. We were wondering about how the world of exposure therapy is responding to the new ways that exposure therapy can be accessed. You know, i.e., virtual reality exposure therapy, virtual reality therapy, and teletherapy.
1: Yeah, sure. So I think the United States is a little bit behind. A lot of the research that I've I've read, and especially like when I first really dove into it, was like European research, um, and so we're really behind. We're really, really behind. Um, a lot of hospitals in Europe are using this for eating disorders, uh, substance use, mindfulness practice, chronic pain. It And it's so accessible that it really could be used. And, and by practitioners, whether it be mental health, um, uh, medical need, anything, it really has such a variety of application. But I would say once a lot of the practitioners see it there, we're on board. Um, there's a VR, uh, therapist in New York. Um, his name is Dr. Gurr. He's awesome. Um, he was doing exposure therapy in like the (laughs) sixties, um, you know, on the streets of like New York where his practice was, and he's got this really like cool story. Um, he, But he uses VR and he's a huge huge advocate for it because he saw how difficult VR was and high dropout rates of uh, not VR, of exposure therapy. So though maybe it could be intimidating, um, it could feel less personal, there's this added benefit of it's, it works, it's fast, it's accessible, and it's not super expensive. People don't have to go to a clinic. So I think a lot of practitioners, if they could really see it and see the results, they would be like, okay, we're in,
0: you know? Yeah. You're definitely right about the U S being behind I, I, the hospitals that i worked in, didn't even offer individual therapy. So the, <laughs> the <laughs> fact that the, these like concentrated, you know, uh, these really important methodologies are being applied in varied settings is just really impressive. And it makes, it does make me sad, but it also is pretty cool that you have some pioneers in the field here that, that seems like can uplift that, make that a little more hopeful.
2: I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking back to like, you know, other collisions we've talked about who are like the first to do things. And like, it's just, it's, it's so, it's like, Annoying that that happens and that like the current system we have isn't set up is like like stops that progress from progressing faster. But it's so I I think like private practices and therapists being able to kind of like break out on their own and like develop these niches like leads to those that opening of those therapies and it's
1: so cool. Yeah, definitely. And the more discussion there is around just these different things that ther- therapists are doing so many different things now. And I feel like after COVID, because a lot of therapists ended up just like, you know, doing telehealth, were able, kind of had like um, more, more time to explore their own niche. And so then that mastery of a skill, I feel like has just really blown up. I don't know if you guys have seen it, but like so many therapists that I know or that I worked with, whether it was in like community mental health, are in their own, whether it's full-time or part-time, but they're doing something that's like more direct. And it's awesome because I think as therapists, we have that kind of fire inside anyway to do something different. And I'm seeing it more and more. And I'm like, this is so cool. Like not VR stuff. I mean, just whatever, you know, just so many different things. I'm like, oh, I want to try that. Oh, I want to try that. Yeah, I know. Oh, yeah. Well, This is exciting.
2: And, and I think it also empowers the client too, to like look for therapists who like practice in what they're lo- working on. I was recently talking to a friend about finding a therapist and I was like, yeah, this therapist I've had before was really great. And she specializes in the things that I needed to work on at that time, but I'm probably not going to go back to her because like, I want to work on something else. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it just like gives me that, that power to choose and, I mean, a lot of it is also privilege because I'm able to like navigate the private, like to find that therapist. And I think that we're on the same, we're on like the right track in, in, in empowering more people to be able to access the therapy that they need.
1: Yeah. That, so I think that also that privilege to be able to navigate the mental health system. That's big because when we know what resources are there. It's exciting and it's supportive, but when we, if we don't know that, it can feel very isolating and kind of like doomy. Of um, oh, I'll never be able to overcome this. Which with OCD, that's yeah. still, which to me is just wild that so many people have OCD and it is still such a under, under discussed and under treated. I think a lot of therapists are afraid of it. I was, but I had it. So I get a pass because I was like, this is horrible. I'm never going to deal with it. But yeah, so there are things It's like if the more we talk about it, the more people will know it's available and the more people will come and heal and have the life that they want instead of crippling anxiety all the time.
0: Rebecca, can you talk a little bit about um, the experience of having clients with OCD and treating it?
1: Absolutely. I love working with OCD clients. There's definitely, there's definitely something endearing about OCD itself when somebody can say what is hidden in their brain and then be like, isn't that wild and so irrational? And I know it is, but it doesn't matter what my rational brain says. I still feel it. And it's working with OCD is, is very, very rewarding because once it's like starting the work is, can be a little grueling. It's hard. We don't see a lot of progress in those first few weeks, but then once it's almost like once it catches, it's off to the races. So I really, I feel like a lot of the clients that I work with when, by the time they come to therapy, unfortunately they have had a life with OCD for a long, long time. And with not a lot of success, whether it be in treatment, um, self-help and that that's sad, but They're motivated. They're like ready to to change. So I also see a lot of of that fire. They're like, "Yep, let's go. Whatever it takes, we're doing it."
2: And and I I also I my husband has OCD. So like reflecting on the I mean we talked about stigma of OCD and like how it might even go so long undiagnosed because people have a very structured conceived notion about what OCD is and what it looks like when it can present in so many different ways.
1: Yeah. It presents in a lot of different ways. And I think the other thing too with OCD that I forget as a therapist, as an individual sometimes is people mask, you know, Mm -hmm. don't, they know it's not normal. And I put that in air quotes, right? That normal, it's, it's atypical what they're thinking and feeling, but that's the dissonance. That's the that challenge internally that they're feeling. So you can't always see OCD. Uh, You usually don't see OCD. So the person that's suffering from it too may not, somebody may not outreach to help because they're just like, Oh, maybe that person might be a little bit off or, you know, off today or anxious or, or nothing at all. They might present totally calm and and typical. So, so it's tough. And then, it's, it's hard to, to feel validated that what you're experiencing has, you know, uh, deserves support, right? Cause nobody sees it.
0: Yeah. And this is another instance of us kind of moralizing somebody's diagnosis as well, because I had, I have heard, that it's funny that we, we do consider, or sometimes we do feel that OCD clients or clients with OCD, I should say are endearing because we feel very similar towards their, or excuse me, clients with depression. Like almost this like, because they do have to mask so often, there is almost this very like likable, you're pleasing me, Mm. you're making me laugh uh, front that they can almost put on, you know, for short spurts, because like you said, masking, (laughs) masking is very real. And it's very exhausting. And it's a it is a lived trauma to have to be masking regularly. But this is really making me think about how we just like how many folks are not seeking treatment because we you know, we use it as an insult or we use it as like a reason to explain why we are neat or why we're nervous or why we are afraid of germs. Like, you know, these like very like typical cliche. Um, mm-hmm. So it just like, not really a question, just making me kind of sad about how folks not only, you know, mask and feel that they need to hide a part of them that's really in pain, but they also feel like, okay, maybe this is like deep down this, maybe this is like a moral failing of mine. Maybe this is something that I'm just something that's
1: wrong with me. Mm -hmm. That's really hard. And I think people that unfortunately, like by the time they get to therapy that, and they open up about it, that has been reinforced, whether it be by other therapists, Mm -hmm. by society, by self-talk. Right at it. And it's there's a lot of undoing in therapy of like, whoa, 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 what are we saying? What are these beliefs? Where are they coming from? Because that that's crazier than the O C D intrusive thoughts. And I believe mm-hmm. that intrusive thought before that is the mm-hmm. action.
0: You know. And like what a gift you can give I like to talk about gifts we can give clients, <laughs> but what a kind thing you can do for someone by just saying, like, no, like it's the system, or like, no, it's the way we view health. No, it's not you. Like in this case, it is literally not you. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's everything that we're having to live in.
1: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And there is, I think, as therapists, we get that that joy too uh when we see our client go, Oh, really? Oh <sighs> like and then we feel good. We're like, yeah, there's relief happening right now when you rec- just let's acknowledge this is not a you issue. Like you're not messed up. You're not, you know, it's damaged human. The world is. We're just going to figure it out.
0: Yeah. And if it's not you, it's, def- it's definitely not me either. <laughs> like,
1: like when yeah. I see them enjoy,
0: I'm like, yeah, babe, we're, we're here together. Like we're, we are having to suffer through this. Um, Rebecca, I'm wondering if you feel comfortable at all talking about your treatment experience with OCD and exposure therapy.
1: Yeah, definitely. Okay. So I didn't know I had OCD, which is probably most OCDers uh, started their story too. It was like, I don't know, weird stuff kind of floating around in there. <laughs> um, but I had OCD, and my first memory that I can recall of what I now know as an intrusive thought and an obsessive thought was in first grade. So it was my brain. It's definitely a brain thing. And it's stuck. It's stuck for forever. Um, And I think I was, I went into therapy for anxiety and I had some really weird and wild therapy experiences that, I was like, well, this cannot be the mental health system. This is crazy. But it wasn't until I was probably, I mean, around 16 to 18, I was realizing like, okay, this might be like a OCD type of thing. This is like anxiety. thing. I was gaining more understanding, but it really wasn't until I was studying in college, uh, studying psychology and was like, whoa, this is, this is OCD that doesn't look at all like that what presents right of like, I'm not a super organized, cleanly person, um, at all. Um, I, I definitely don't have that, that qualifier, but a lot of the obsessive ruminating, um, structured types and styles of thinking was just really, really disruptive. And so I had seen a therapist and a psychiatrist, and then the psychiatrist had officially diagnosed me with OCD and ADHD. And I was like, well, bingo. Yeah. So it was, and she had, this is the OCD that kind of came out. I was like, what assessment tool did you use? Do you think that maybe we should revisit that because we want to make sure. And she was like, this seems like it, you know, it's it's, it's kind of happening in real time. Wow. (laughs) The approach that I took was a combination of therapy and medication it's not needed for everybody. Some people don't need therapy and some people don't need medication. Some people need both. Some people need for a long time, a little bit of time. So it is different for everybody in their need. I felt like I could be pretty sure I needed medication if, because at the time I was not going to do intense therapy. I just knew I was not there. I didn't have the time, the money, the patience. So I went with medication. Um, and that was a game changer big time and i was like oh this is what normal people feel like this is so <laughs> awesome they're so lucky wow but then therapy also the vr was was just what kicked it off but prior to that i had some really bad therapy experiences and that were really invalidating and probably you know there was a sadness too when the meds worked and i was older I was Mm. like somebody just knew this when I was in fifth grade or first grade or somebody could have just been like this little girl needs some some something what what would have been different and I had like a sadness and I see it with my clients when they when they're on the other side they look back and they say I lived so long like holding all this and I didn't have to and it's like heartbreaking there's a bittersweet piece to it but but then it's good because now they can look ahead and say I'm not going to carry that anymore
2: thank you so much for sharing that yeah
0: yeah as you were saying yes thank you
2: like what a what a
0: a beautiful ending to that really beautiful but I'm thinking about you know this this piece of you knowing that it had been happening happening since first grade and like you know letting listeners know and letting folks that are maybe thinking that some of the applies to them. You were like like and confirm or deny, but like you know when you first when you were talking in the after we're sharing yeah I you know I realized it had been happening since this amount of time there was work to be done in order to get to that truth too right there is like there's digging that is done so for potential clients it's okay if you don't know (laughs) when this stuff started specifically with digging you will probably find the 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 first thought or right like the first the first stressor but like you know like all three of us, I think can kind of be on the show and talk about, yeah, you know, I've been dealing with this since this 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 time in my life. Mm-hmm. That's because we worked. <laughs> we had, to, <laughs> yeah, we had to dig and we had to find that out. And mm-hmm. Rebecca, like you were saying again, very really poignantly, it's sometimes we can't afford the work. Um, maybe you're not at a point in your life yet where you can afford it, or maybe you won't be at a point in your life when you can afford it. And your care, and your mental health, and your happiness, and your peace are just as important. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. for sure. And you can start the process just by tuning in a little bit and giving that a little space or time that, and when therapy, when I was just in therapy that was not working, I kept going just because I was like, I don't know what else to do because this is not work. This isn't working, but what I'm doing isn't either. I wrote And it was actually when I was writing and I wrote a lot, a lot, a lot, I would be like, whoa, that is, that is a a wild, you know, maybe recognition of some of these symptoms from way early on. And it was a lot of work. It was a long process. It was a really long process to, to gain some understanding about why I felt and behaved in the way that I did. And that OCD again, was not just like cleaning things or organizing, it was intrusive, scary thoughts, unwanted thoughts, mm-hmm. um, challenges with sleep eating, right. It starts to just like branch out. And so you look like you have all these issues, right? Like, mm-hmm. Oh, she has insomnia. Oh, she has, uh, an eating disorder. She's got this or that. And you, all these other things get thrown at you. You're like oh my god I'm a mess like how do I I get like hit with the DSM I might as well have written it and when you break down break it all the way down it's like the stem is this OCD brain that is just make it a mess so it is it's a long process but it's it and it doesn't always have like a clear starting point or end point but. Mm.
2: And I think it's so hard. I, I use this example with clients a lot of times, like like don't be hard on yourself for not noticing this earlier. Like when I I can like remember when my eyesight, I I don't have great eyesight. So I can like remember when it started to not be great. And I had no idea what was going on because I had no frame of reality to know that my eyesight was getting worse. I just was like, oh, I have to sit up closer to the TV. Or like, oh, when we go to the movies, I have to sit really close or like I gotta do this. And I and I had no idea. And I made all these sort of like all, all of these rules or all of these things to help me. And then finally I had an eye test and they were like, what? How how is your eyesight this bad? And like, I I just use that as an example to be like, it is okay. Cause now I can look back and be like, why didn't I know my eyesight was bad? Or like, nobody noticed that I was trying to sit so close to the TV because like, like it's your own brain and, and like, it's hard to step back from that reality and look at it objectively
1: when you're living it. Of course. And, and also give acknowledgement to like how adaptive you were, right? Like, and, and that's a lot of times that's what OCD is too it's like something doesn't feel right what can i do to make it to the mm-hmm. next point and that and so we can say wow okay ocd you were like trying to help me out through that feeling didn't do a great job at it right same thing with like okay i tried with this eyesight so i got closer to the tv and did this this and that but it's adaptive we're trying to help ourselves mm-hmm. and we can and that's the best we could do at that time. And now with more knowledge, we get glasses or, you know, basic eye surgery. And or <laughs> yes. we try the next thing to help push us forward.
2: Yeah. And like with those, with when we're dealing with mental health, like sometimes those adaptations can look like themselves separate disorders. Like you said, like an eating disorder um, or PTSD or like, because a lot of these symptoms come together. And I think I guess my basic thesis is like, it's, it's good to inform people to give them that power of like, yes, this is actually what it is. As I dig deeper, as like Sarah said, like we got to dig underneath and, and find out what the root cause of it is.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And unfortunately, sometimes there will be a misdiagnosis along the way and we, we have to be mindful of that too, even as therapists, that if a client comes and say, oh, I'm depressed. Like I've, I was diagnosed with depression and I've been on Lexapro for six years. right? And we still have to assess that. And we still have to look at it with a, a lens of people change, diagnoses change, the DSM changes, environment, all those other factors. And also that somebody maybe only reported symptoms they could verbalize and we have to make sure they have the language and the understanding and are informed so they can say oh maybe it's not depression you know i also have this going on or that and so we also want to be there to uh give them the the language and the knowledge to communicate what they're feeling so it doesn't just fall into a category of like okay major depression oh, she's anxious right a little more a little more to that <laughs> yeah there's like a lot of like strata
2: that uh, you know i'm climbing up yeah
1: for sure. Rebecca, do you have any
0: inspirational on the spot? Do you have any, (laughs) anything you could say to folks that are either, you know, maybe listening to this episode and are like, Oh, maybe, maybe this is something I don't need to ignore anymore or, or are in the midst of their own treatment. Um,
1: anything that you can say to them right now? So listen to your gut, you know, if you feel like something's off, then something's off and that's okay to not know exactly what it is. And to ask for somebody else to put some eyes on it. It's okay to be unsure or anxious about being anxious, right? I have a lot of people say, like, I don't, I don't want you to think I'm a hypochondriac, but I looked at this up or I did this. And I always say, no, you're you're learning who you are, you're learning yourself, and you're trying to gain information, you know. And so if anybody is is struggling and they're not sure how to communicate it or what to do, be, be hopeful that some therapists out there will know what is going on or how to help. And if they don't know, they'll find a way to make it happen. A, a good therapist will be able to say, I don't know how to do this, but we're going to find somebody who does. And, you know, it's never just, you know, a solo lone wolf thing. Every, everybody deserves to have a a, a support team in place and and we're here Therapists therapist like we love being the support team we love it it's what keeps us going so use us you know when we're here um and the other thing too i would say is there's no shame in saying what thoughts are actually happening in your head and a lot of people are afraid that they'll be judged or or that they'll be thought that a therapist may accidentally, Or mistakenly, I should say, assume that that is somebody's true wants and beliefs, Mm. especially when it comes to OCD. So finding an OCD therapist, making sure that they are trained in OCD so they don't make that mistake and say, oh my gosh, this person is X, Y, and Z, you know, um, because they're having these really graphic harm thoughts or, Mm. but making sure that the therapist knows. And then opening it up because that that's the first part of exposure too is not running away from those terrifying thoughts that keep popping in uh our heads that we're like oh my god i should not think that it's okay we
2: aren't our we aren't our thoughts if there's one we uh, there's something i keep hacking the vines at of i guess
0: yeah, Rebecca, we may have you on in the future. To just talk about intrusive thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> <Like> just generally.
2: <laughs> oh, oh my goodness. Are, are there any resources um, that you have or where, where can people find you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So um, no OCD is a good resource for uh, education and materials. N- no CD, N- o- C-D. <laughs> I think it's no, it's to say, say no OCD dot org something like that um, I should look it up really, really quick but it's that they always keep a lot of really good resources um, and little like self assessments too to figure out like what might I be going through and what kind of therapist to reach out to so I like theirs um, the OCD Foundation of New Jersey is another good one they do groups they do um, uh, community events and things like that yeah, I would say those are the two resources that I really, really like. I also, I, I have a free workbook I give to anybody that wants it, um, but it, it goes to all of my clients and it's a quick exposure therapy. Um, this is not tailored specifically to OCD, so I wouldn't necessarily think that, wouldn't want somebody to think that this would be the book for them, but um, this is a good book for clinicians to look at if they're thinking about getting into exposure therapy Um, Or VR. So um, it's a PDF and I can email it to anybody if anybody Mm -hmm. wants. Totally. uh, It's my go to. And yeah. Oh, and my website is mindbydesignllc.com. And my blog talks a lot about OCD, the uh, neurobiology of OCD, uh, VR, all that fun stuff that I like to talk about, but not a lot of people (laughs) like to hear.
2: (laughs) I really appreciate the name of your practice. Just like kind of saying like, like, this is my, we're just working on like, you know, just like rearranging parts of the mind. Like it's not, it's not like a moral failing that you have. Um, oh, yeah. I really, really appreciate Absolutely. that. I love that.
0: Thank yeah. you. Thank you. Yeah, Rebecca, it was such a pleasure to have yeah. you on. We really appreciate Thank you taking you. the time.
1: Thank you so much for having me. I I hope I was able to answer your questions and not go off. On a tangent, too much. I'm probably still oh my, my ADH thing, but I had to tackle that OCD first. <laughs> <laughs> you were fantastic.
2: Thank
0: you. You were. Yes, absolutely. And we love a rant. So. Yes.
1: Oh, yeah.
2: my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to the show. Before to subscribe, rate, and review us on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. <gasps> oh, wow. you can check us out on Instagram at TND Pod, on Twitter at TND Pod1. One is in the number one. Or visit our website at tndpodcast.com.
2: If you would like early access to full interviews, history lessons in a private community and so much more, head on over to our Patreon at patreon.com slash tndpodcast. You can also email us questions, thoughts uh, to therapistsnextdoor at gmail.com. And for easier access, you can also find the interview request form on our Instagram bio if you would like to be part of the show. Sarah, do you have anything to plug?
0: Yeah, check out my website, teletherapywithsarah.com. Uh, link blog is still going uh, once a month anti anti imperialist, anti capitalist blog post to have you live another world is possible after capitalism <laughs> for the love of God. Um, I also have my store is pretty active now. I got oh, yeah, finally, I can't believe it. So, that's <sighs> I mean, I can believe it, but that's on the store, so also more like. Anti oppressive therapy tools that you can find to just heal from this very difficult, as we referenced frequently in this this. episode, very uh, challenging political and economic environment that we are living in. Um, Yeah, uh, I'm going to be on a podcast. I'm being interviewed. I know the name of it. It is Empowered Connection. (laughs) Ooh, exciting. On that podcast, and I have a uh, interview coming out on canvas Rebel magazine so check those Whoa, things out Sarah, hopefully they're happening goodness. i know I, oh cool I, oh my gosh they're all here. over magazines
2: yeah i'm all over
0: um, <laughs> no i'm just going to be in those two places those okay. three places well you
2: were in another magazine before i think i don't know if that ever yeah. got <laughs> posted okay well we talked about it so <laughs> oh, we cool. did. all right Joanna, what about you <laughs> all right well, we'll you can that. find all of my links in the bio there might even be an Etsy shop by the time this comes out um that's pretty cool uh i also might be in a magazine too that i did an interview about um walk and talk therapy so that's pretty cool um i also want to plug a magazine sorry a breathe magazine mm-hmm. i don't know if it's out yet i'll link it if it is if not just check it out it seems like a very cool magazine i want to plug i didn't read this book yet because it's not out as of today um but aubrey gordon has a new book that that just came out called uh you just need to lose weight and 19 other myths about fat people. Also, if you want to listen to the maintenance phase episode about the book, like there were so many times during the episode I was like, mm-hmm, yes. Wow. Well, I kept I kept oh my pumping gosh.
0: my fist in the air while walking and listening to it. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. Please, please. It's please. like
2: I, I think it's just gonna be like a vital book for my life. And I think it it should, yes. Yes, a hundred percent. I'm also going to plug the show Willow on uh, Disney Plus. Um, <laughs> they in the uh, most recent episode, they talked about validating negative feelings that you have and like accepting that as part of yourself, um, and not and not trying to like say like I shouldn't be I shouldn't be feeling this way, and to just like accept that we have negative feelings and that doesn't mean anything mm-hmm. about us. And I really really like that because that's like what I talk about like every day. So um check out Willow. And it's just fun. It's fun. It 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 was uh George Lucas wanted to do Lord of the Rings. So it was uh George Lucas doing Lord of the Rings but not Lord of the Rings in the eighties. And now there's a TV show about it now. So
0: was it was a really uh that like I don't know I like think about scenes from that movie and I think about scenes from my childhood so definitely check that out I had never also, seen it
2: until this the show came oh, out yeah, so yeah um the show's really good and it's just like about yeah there's a lot of like interpersonal stuff it's really cool and I really appreciate that Willow was like you need to just like be okay with like the dark parts of yourself um yeah I like that yay thanks Willow yeah Alrighty, folks.
0: Check out openpathcollective.org. And until next time, yeah, we are. Uh, your you're a therapist next door. Next door. Bye. Bye. <laughs>